you have your Bible, you can open to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be picking up in verse 14. I have a confession to make to you this morning. And I'm choosing to make it now because we have about 40, 40 plus guys up at a, a men's retreat. And so I will be judged by less people and my man card will be potentially revoked by less people. So here's my confession to make. Um, I own a power tool. A power tool. It's a corded drill. That's it. Uh, my wife won't let me get the cordless. Things, things might get too out of control. So I own a power tool. And, and when it comes to fixing things, when it comes to tools, I'm about um, as inept as they come. I'm just going to throw it out there. Judge me if you want, but don't tell anybody who's not here. This is just between you and me. And so I was out front one morning um, on a Saturday at our house in San Diego, and I was trimming the, the hedges that were in the front of our yard, and I was using one of the, these deals, whatever those things are called, hand trimmers. And my neighbor, Rob, comes over to me and he says, Ryan, what are you, what are you doing, man? Like, I have a, a, a power trimmer I can let you borrow. And I think to myself, but why don't we have one of those, right? And so I say, absolutely, I'll, I'll take it. And he says, do you want my extension cord too? And I <clears throat> sort of puffed up my chest and I said, no, I have one of those, you know. Um, <laughs> and so he lets me borrow his trimmer. And I'm just, I'm edging the living daylights out of these bushes, right? And I feel so manly. Something inside of me is, is jumping, it's leaping as the work that was going to take me a few hours to do was then being done in Minutes. I mean, I was like a barber going at a mullet, right? I mean, I was just, <laughs> that bush was going to look trim by the time I was done. And so I'm, I'm just going at it. And then all of a sudden the power cuts out. And I think to myself, what, what happened? And so I check where the plug goes in and, and it's not that. And so I walk back to my garage thinking for sure that the plug was going to be loose from the outlet in the garage. Nothing. And so I finally, I'm, I'm following the cord back. And as I get to the cord that's in the bushes, I pull it out. And that was one powerful trimmer tool because I cut right through the extension cord as I was going samurai on this bush. And I didn't even know it. And I'm standing there and I'm holding this, this perfectly good trimmer, this power tool that works great if it's plugged in. And I'm looking at it like, what is wrong with this thing? No power goes to it. And it's not all that helpful anymore. And as I read this passage that we're looking at this morning, I started to think, I wonder how many of us live our Christian lives in a very similar way. We have all the right tools. We have all the right beliefs, even, maybe. But our lives just feel powerless. I mean, sort of, like, metaphorically speaking, we just, we look at them and go, this should be working, but it's not. But it's not. And I think if we're, if we're honest uh, together this morning, that in some way, shape, or form, all of us are in that place. Where we're saying, listen, God, I, I believe that you can heal this marriage, but it just doesn't seem like you are. Or I believe, God, that you can work in our financial situation, but for some reason, it just doesn't seem like you're coming through. Or this sin that's just had its tentacles in me for a while, I know I can be victorious over that, but for whatever reason, 
I am just continually getting beat down. And I think for, for all of us in this room, in some way, shape, or form, we can relate to that idea of feeling like we have all the right parts and feeling like we have all the right beliefs and having this conviction that God can come through and that He can act and that He is powerful and that He is mighty. But for some reason, our lives just don't reflect it. And here's what Paul is going to write to a church at Ephesus who he says to them, You have this amazing power at your fingertips, and for some reason, you're just not living it. You're just not living it. And there's some things he's going to write to them, some things that in order for them to step into the fullness of all that God invites them to, they're going to have to believe. And so here's what I'd say to you this morning, friend, is that my conviction is there's a lot of us sitting in this room together today that aren't plugged in where we're, we're holding all the right things and we have all the right sort of doctrine and the right beliefs, but we just feel like our lives are powerless and the same sin just keeps on nailing us and the same regret keeps on popping up and we live lives that are powerless, ridden with guilt and shame. And here's God's invitation to you this morning. He wants more for you. He wants more for you. And, and that's what this portion of this letter to the, to the Ephesian church is all about. If you have a Bible, you turn with me. Uh, chapter 3, we're going to start in actually in verse 13. Because it's going to give us some context for our passage this morning. And I love the way that this connects. It's, and so Paul writes, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. So here's the way that this passage is going to begin. The Ephesian church has gotten word that Paul is in jail. And indeed, that's where he wrote this letter from. He wrote this letter chained to a Roman guard in a Roman jail. And this church hears, listen, the Apostle Paul who who started this church, who planted this church, who spent years with them, who they loved dearly, was in jail. And so their mind starts going to this place that our mind often goes when circumstances don't go our way. God, where are you? God, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, this just doesn't make sense. And I love Paul's response. Because his response is not, yeah, you heard I was in jail. If you could pray for me, that'd be great. His response isn't, I'm in jail. This is horrible. Will you pray? Will you hold prayer meetings that I will be released? In fact, three times in the book of Ephesians, Paul prays. Never once does he pray for his release from prison. Never once. In fact, his prayer is just the opposite. His prayer is that although circumstances aren't going the way the Ephesian church wanted them to go, can you relate? Although circumstances aren't going the way that the Ephesian church wanted them to go, that in the midst of circumstances, they might be strengthened. And here's God's amazing promise to you and to me, is that he is able. Whatever circumstance you're going through this morning, wherever you find yourself as we pick up these scriptures, and whatever you brought into this place, he is able, in the midst of whatever circumstances you're in, to strengthen you, to build you up, to encourage you, and to make you strong. I love the way 
Philip Yancey talks about this interaction of disappointment and circumstances in, in a sovereign God because he talks about prayer, and that's exactly what Paul is going to do. He says, if prayer stands at the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why God doesn't act the way we want God to, and why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where those themes converge. And that's where we find ourselves in this passage. The disappointed life. The life where they're starting to lose heart and wondering where strength comes from. And what Paul introduces to the Ephesian church and to you and to me this morning is where we can find deep wells of strength for when life gets real and when life gets hard and when disappointment knocks at your door, it will someday, if it hasn't already. And this is what he writes. Verse 14. For this reason. For what reason? Well, because I heard that you were losing heart. So, even though I'm in jail... Even though I'm chained to a Roman guard, let me pray for you. I mean, it must be humbling to be the Ephesian church and to get this, isn't it? I mean, they're reading this together as a church going, wait, he's praying for us. (laughs) Maybe we should take some time and pray for him too. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Just another quick time out. I'm sorry. I just got to point out, posture matters. Posture matters in prayer. And Paul takes this submissive posture towards God, saying, God, I believe that you are high and that you are exalted. And the way that I show that is by me becoming lower and bowing in reverence and in awe towards you. Posture matters. That's for free this morning. It's not in my notes. From from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be, what's that word? Strengthened. That he might grant to you to be strengthened. Notice what Paul writes and notice why Paul goes to God and in prayer, kneeling before him, he goes to him because he believes that God has riches that he's able to give to you. And I think, I think a lot of the reason that many of us struggle in our prayer life is because we're just simply not convinced that God is a God who overflows with riches and freely gives them to those who ask. If we believe that, I think we would spend way more time on our knees than we did on our Facebooks. And he says, I believe that you, God, have Riches have a wealth of strength to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. See, it's possible, friends, it's possible for you in the midst of circumstances that you don't like, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of regret, when everything in life tells you that you should be beat down, that you should be suppressed, and that you should be powerless. What this scripture is teaching is that there's a well of strength 
that Jesus invites you to come from and to drink deeply of in the midst of circumstances that may not be your choice. And he says, if you'll come to me, I have the power through my spirit to strengthen your inner being. Now, if you're like me, your question immediately is, well, how do I get that? How do, how do I step into that, that strength that Jesus invites us to live in? That's great, Ryan, but how, do, how does that happen practically in me? I'm glad you asked that question. That's what the rest of this passage is about. And here's the way he continues. That he might grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we're going to see three things that really make up this life of inner strength, this well that Jesus invites us to to come to and to drink deeply of. And the first thing that we see is that we are strengthened through a faith-filled, living, vital relationship with Jesus. And you may be going, all right, I've been to church for however many years. And and Ryan, you're going to tell me that the secret to finding hidden strength is a relationship with Jesus? Isn't that sort of 101? Yes. Yes, it is 101. And yes, it is what I'm telling you. That's, That's Paul's prayer. He says, this is my desire for you, that you might be strengthened by Christ dwelling in your heart's Through faith. Through faith. See, Paul isn't praying that they would become Christians. They already are Christians. They're already saved. They're already redeemed. But this word dwell is a really interesting word in the Greek. It's actually a compound word. It's two words that are sort of put together. One one is kata and the other is oikea. And together it means to go down deeply and to inhabit. To go down deeply and to inhabit, like, like in a house. And so the, in the context of this passage, it's not, the idea is not so much as Jesus being an inhabitant of the house of our hearts, but him settling down and making his home in our hearts. See, because if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus lives in you, but the degree to which he makes his home in your heart is the degree to which you cultivate a heart that longs for his presence, that wants him, that enjoys him, and that drinks deeply of him. And I think that there's a lot of us, a lot of us who live with Jesus as a renter rather than a buyer. With Jesus as a renter rather than a buyer. And what he says is, if you want to find hidden strength for the Christian life that surpasses any circumstances that you go through, he has to dwell in you in a way where he buys, not rents. There's two Greek words, actually, for this word to dwell. The other is paroikos. And it means it's more of a, a visitor passing through, a stranger coming by. And what he says to us is that Jesus does not want to be a stranger who wanders in our hearts, but a buyer who sinks his roots down deeply into our souls. So, how does that happen? 
I mean, because I think all of us would say, yeah, I agree. I, I want that. I want to be somebody who, who cultivates a place in my soul for Jesus to feel at home. How does that happen? See, this passage gives us a few hints. One is that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Through faith. And you see, the extent to which we trust God. That's another word for faith is trust. Or, or the word believe. Faith can see a little bit maybe churchy. But trust, the extent to which we trust God in large part, in large part determines how at home Christ is made in our hearts. In fact, the the writer of Hebrews says it like this. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time, when was the last time that you took a risk? When was the last time that you stepped out in faith, that that the conversation on Monday morning wasn't so much about the Broncos or the weather, but that maybe just a mention of, yeah, my weekend was great. I was really encouraged by this passage we looked at in the Bible at church. When was the last time? See, because faith and that stepping out, that where where our knowledge ends and taking one more step, you see, that's a life of, of faith. That's a life of trust. And see, it's that gap between what we know and the risk that we take where we get to sense God's pleasure, where we get to sense his goodness. See, the life of faith is the life that Jesus feels very at home in. And it's the life that clings to him and, and needs him. I'd say, I'd say the other thing that, that helps Christ dwell in our hearts and cultivates a heart that, that longs for his presence is a heart that wants to know him more. Do you? Do you long to know him? I mean, we have so many, so many ways now with, with iPhones and iPads and i everythings that... I think a lot of times we skim the surface of knowledge and we learn about a lot of different things, but we don't dive deeply enough into understanding who God is in a way that our heart actually grabs onto him. So so I think that a life of faith, a desire for knowing him more, and then also a longing to be obedient. I mean, that's a very practical Implication of Christ dwelling in our hearts. You want to cultivate a heart where Christ feels at home? It's not just longing for more information. It's being obedient to the information that we already have. Look at the way that John writes it. He doesn't write it there. Let me read it to you. Where John writes it in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, where he says this. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments that we keep his commandments i love this next line and his commandments are not burdensome but what he just said is listen god doesn't tell us to do things and invite us to do things to make our lives miserable he invites us to obey for our greater joy not to burden us but to invite us into a fullness of life 
See, here's the deal. Uh, the heart that feels at home is committed to being obedient to Christ, not just in compartments of our life, but in our whole lives. So it's a heart that says, God, you can touch my marriage. I'll follow you there. God, you can touch my finances. I'm going to commit to you there. God, you can touch my, my career. I'll be obedient wherever you lead, whatever you ask me to do. God, my whole life is committed to you. I love the way that this anonymous author uh, put it when he said, until the Holy Spirit controls every dimension of our lives, Jesus cannot be comfortable there, but only stays like a tolerated visitor. You're not going to drift there, friends. You're not going to get to the place where you cultivate a place where Jesus feels at home, where he dwells, as, as, as Paul writes to the Ephesian church, on accident. You're not going to wake up one morning and go, yeah, it happened. Didn't even see it. Didn't even see it coming, but it happened. No, it's going to be us intentionally saying to him, I want to know you. I want to obey you. I want to trust you. I want to live a life of faith. You, don't, you will not drift into it. I can promise you that. You will not drift into it. I uh, went away for a few days, spent a few days up in Breckenridge with my family, and um, I, had, I was trying to conserve a little bit of money um, because I had a pretty high water bill <clears throat> in July. 400 bucks! I got the bill and was like, who, who is siphoning my water, <laughs> Right? And so I'm going, all right, I got to make up this difference somehow. And so I, I, I turned my sprinklers off when I went away and I got back and my lawn looked horrible. I mean, it was so dry that it, it was, it looked like the desert. It really did. And I was embarrassed and I wanted to apologize to my neighbors. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I thought, man, how easy for us, how easy is it for us to see when our lawn is dry and how hard is it for me to see when my heart is dry? where I'm not cultivating a place where Jesus feels at home. And, and Paul says, you want to be strengthened? You want, you want to have a strength that supersedes any circumstance you can go through? Cultivate a place where Jesus feels at home. I can remember being on a mission trip in New Orleans, and if you've ever been to downtown New Orleans, um, you know that it's you know, a little bit sketchy. Um, and so we split up into two groups to go work in, this, uh, in the city with our college ministry there. And um, Kelly led one group and I led the other group. And there was um, a guy in our group who was about 6'4", 280, big dude. And I said, I'm going with him. <laughs> hey, Kelly, I'll, I'll be praying for you. We'll be praying for you. But, but I'm with him. And as I walked down the streets of New Orleans, I felt pretty comfortable. I was just in Kelby's shadow. I mean, I was just letting his shadow rain down on me. And there was this, I felt, I walked a little bit taller that day. And I think that's what, that's the image that Paul's painting. As Christ dwells in us, there's a strength that we sense in being with him. Because who's bigger than him? And so, so in many ways, 
the lack of strength that many of us feel is directly correlating with the fact that Christ isn't at home in our hearts. Because if we, if we know that He is, who, who's bigger, who's better, who's stronger? He goes on. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now see, this is going to be a difficult for us this morning because what he just said was he wants you to know something that's greater than knowledge. That you might be filled with all of the fullness of God. Here's his second invitation to us, to, to the well that we dig into and drink from if we're going to be people who live lives of strength, even when circumstances tell us we should be living otherwise. It's a life that's firmly planted, that's fixed, that's established in the immeasurable love of God. In the immeasurable love of God. I love this terminology, that, that, that we are to be rooted and grounded. See, Christians are followers of Jesus who have deep roots and firm foundations. Notice both of those things go beneath the surface. They both transcend what you can see and they, they're, they're dug deeply. And he says, the things that we as followers of Jesus, the thing that we sink ourselves into, the thing that we dive deeply into, the thing that we strive for, and want, maybe more than anything else, is to know the love of Jesus. And you're, you may be thinking, right, okay, so the way that I find strength is I, Christ dwells in me. I have a personal relationship with God. Yep, that's right. The second way is I know the love of God. Yeah. That's what Paul prays for this church. See, love is the soil in which our lives are built. Our roots grow into and our foundation is built upon. See, here's the truth of the matter, friends. Your life is built on something. Your life is built on something. It may be built on money. It may be built on family. It may be built on relationships. But your life is built on something. The question is, the question is, when life gets difficult, when life gets real, does that foundation hold? Does that foundation hold or does it start to give out? And what Paul says is, I want you to know this love. It surpasses knowledge. It surpasses understanding. And it's so good that you can build your life on it. I love the way that 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says it. And John writes, this is love. Here, here we go. Are you ready for it? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the, the, the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins. And so here's the deal. Here's where many of us miss the boat. Is we think that God's love for us depends on how we perform for God. And so we live our life on this hamster wheel of performance, thinking, thinking that, that someday we'll get there. 
that someday we'll be good enough and that someday we'll have it together enough. And then, then we'll really believe that he loves us. And you see, many other religions work in that way. They function in that way. That if you achieve to this certain point, then, then. But Christianity says, now. Today. Today you can taste and see how good his love is for you. And you say, well, well, last night was a rough night. and And I failed miserably. Great. Great. Then you have right before you the invitation to see that his love is not contingent upon you, but upon him. That even when we fail, he's good. That he will never love you. You may have heard it said he will never love you any more or any less than he does right now. And you see, the great thing about it is you have the cross that stands at the center point of history for you to build your life on the reality that Jesus loved you when you were a sinner. And so if you are today, still, which you are, he still loves you. He still loves you. And what Paul is going to say is there is nothing more important to your life than whether or not you actually believe that. Nothing. There's no other conviction that you can hold that's more important than that. There's no other theological uh, theological belief that you can come to that's more important than that. There's no other book you can read that's more important than that. The most important thing about you is do you believe at the very core of your being that Jesus loves you? You know, we think it's a kid's song. If we don't, we're going to live lives trying to earn and trying to gain, trying to get God to love us or other people to love us because there's that void inside of us that says, I need this. And if we don't hear it from him, we'll chase it in other areas, as many as you can think of people have. But when you hear it from him, and not just know it because he says it surpasses knowledge. Not just know it, but know it and are gripped by it. It brings immense freedom. See, when I understand that the, that the God of the universe who spoke it all into existence and holds it all together right now says, for some reason, Ryan Paulson, I love you. It gives me great freedom to live a life where I'm not saying to you, I need you to approve of me. I need, you, I need you to like me. Listen, I want you to like me, but the God of the universe loves me. And your liking me pales in comparison to that. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just going to be honest with you. It frees me to live. It brings confidence. If I understand that the God of the universe loves me, and I see his cross and the shadow of his cross over me at all times. Listen, no matter what life brings at me, if I'm sure of that, my feet are grounded. Look at the way that Paul writes it in the book of Romans, where he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our, what's that word? Sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings? 
knowing that suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces character and that character produces hope. So suffering does something in us. Suffering works in us, but there needs to be a foundation for it to work. And listen to what he says. Hope does not disappoint us or sorry, put us to shame. Because God's love, because God's love poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Friends, you, you want grounding when life gets hard and when life gets real and when things get disappointed. You want to find strength when yours has been zapped. Be convinced of the fact that He loves you in spite of you and your failings and know that He loves you because you're His child. Period. See, it It brings freedom, it brings confidence, it brings satisfaction. I love the way that Psalm 90 verse 14 puts it when, when, when Moses writes, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Satisfy us. Fill us up. Complete us with your love. That we might be glad and rejoice all of our days. I just want to point out a few other things in this passage. Look at the way he says this. Uh, that you might, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, verse 17, starting verse 18, may have strength. See, God's love is so deep, it's so vast, it's so immeasurable that you need supernatural strength to get your heart around it. That you might be able to know, that you might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breath uh, how, how wide is it? It, it? it encompasses all mankind. What is the, the length? How long is it? How, how long does it go? How far does it go? All of eternity. You'll never suck it dry. It will never run out. It will always continue to pursue. It will always push forward. The, what is the breadth and the length and the height? How high does it go? I mean, it... it it lifts you to heaven. And how deep does it go? It reached down and it grabbed you at your lowest point. And Paul's saying, listen, I want you to know that love. Look at the way that he starts verse 18. He says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. It's a really interesting sort of part in this passage because he's not just saying that we understand it with each other, that we understand it together. What he's saying is that in order to understand it fully, we, we need to comprehend it communally. That's his point, that you only understand the love of God fully when you understand it communally. We need each other. We need each other so that we're not just limited to our experience alone, but that in this room where we have a, a few hundred people, we collectively together get to say, no, his love surpasses understanding. It's good even when I'm not. It's, it, it pursues me even when I don't pursue him. And we get to speak into each other's life. That's why things like life groups are so important to us. That's why they're not going away, because we believe that we need each other on this journey for, for other people to point out, for other people to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to us. If his love surpasses knowledge, then you need to feel it. 
You need to hear it. Some of the best ways that you do that is by these people who are sitting next to you, coming alongside of you and saying, I'm convinced of it, and I want to show it to you. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And listen to the way that he puts this. That, so when that happens, that you might be filled with all of the fullness of of God. See, that's why this is so important. That, that's why the, when I say the most important thing about you, the most important conviction that you can hold is to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the God of the universe loves you is for this very reason, is that when that happens, you're filled with the fullness of God. Here's what he's saying. The extent to which you're convinced of God's love for you will determine how full of a life you're able to live. The extent to which you you are convinced of his love for you determines the fullness of life you're able to live. We could say that when we're convinced of the, the surpassing, immeasurable, deep, long, wide, strong love of God, that it awakens us to live lives that are fully alive and moves us beyond existing to really, truly living. And friends, it's what God wants for each one of you. It's what he wants for you, that you would hold on to that, that you would grip it, that you would sink your heart and your soul deeply into it. Your joy is determined by whether you believe that or not. Your confidence is determined by whether you believe that or not. Your health and your marriage is determined by whether you believe that or not. Your relationship with your kids is determined by whether you believe that or not. And his invitation to you is receive it. Believe it. That you might be filled up, that you might be fully satisfied, that you don't that you stop looking for other people to say, Will you complete me? Will you fill me up? Will you tell me how great I am? If you hear it from God, you're free. You're free. So to find hidden strength, we need to cultivate relationship with Jesus. We need to be convinced of the fact that he loves us. And finally, he ends with this glorious exhortation now to him. And here's Jesus, who's able to do, I love this, far more abundantly. You almost feel bad for Paul because he just doesn't have enough words and a vocabulary to say this is how great this is he's like it's far more far more abundantly more than all that we could ask or think i mean you see how it just builds on it it's far it's more more than far it's abundantly more than far than you could ask or even think according to to work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, the life that finds hidden strength, that finds power when circumstances dictate we should live otherwise, is a life that's built on an active confidence in the power of God in 
and through us. I'm convinced that many of us tap out, that we give up way before we even engage in the battle. Because we don't believe this. Because we don't believe that there's power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit far more abundantly, way more power than we could ever think or ever imagine or even dream up to ask for. And I think God's invitation to us this morning is, would you once again believe that I am able? That I can heal? That I can redeem? That I can make right? Will you once again believe? Will you ask? Will you ask afresh? Will you ask again? You know, a lot of us interact with God, and one of the metaphors or illustrations that I heard was that it would be like walking down the street with Bill Gates and him saying to us, hey, I'll buy you anything you want. And many of us say back to him, hey, I'll take a How, how crazy would that be? This is the God of the universe who says he's at work in you, who says he, who says he can heal, who says he can make right, who says he can redeem, who says he can bring freedom. Friend, when will we start believing it? You see, I think way too many of us give up before we even engage. And it should scare us a little bit should scare us. If our lives don't have a power behind it, it should scare us. I love the way that, that Paul writes it to Timothy when he says, he's talking about people, and he says they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Avoid them. They're playing church. They're playing church. They go, they sit in, in there on Sunday, they sing the songs, but they live lives that are powerless. Stay away. I want you. As I've thought through this passage and prayed through it, I can't tell you how badly I want this for you. That you would be a person that cultivates a place where Christ feels at home. It's not going to happen by accident. That you might actually believe and build your life on the reality that God loves you today. Not, not, not he will tomorrow. He will tomorrow. But he does today. And that you might be convinced that there is great power for those who believe. I read a story about a woman named Morena who lived in South Florida. And in 1992, her house was just decimated, was destroyed by a hurricane that came through. And they, and they rebuilt, but... They ran out of money before they could hook up the electric. And so, Moreno lived for years with a little tiny stove that ran on gas and a lamp that was a little kerosene lamp. She didn't take a hot shower. She made very little hot food for 15 years. For 15 years. Finally, her neighbors called and they, they, they called the city and they said, hey, I think we need to help this lady out. It took an electrician four hours to come in, hook it up, back to normal. 
And I thought, how sad. How sad that that's all it took. It was right there. And for 15 years she lived without any power. And I started to think about us. And how sad it would be to live with all the right parts with the right beliefs and the right convictions, but to live without any power because we just aren't cultivating a relationship with Jesus because we're just not convinced that He loves us today and that we just don't have the conviction that He moves. Friends, I want you to drink deeply from the wells that say there's life available There's life available in the midst of circumstances. His power is available. It's real. And you can grab it today if you're willing to wrap your heart around the truths that Paul invites the Ephesian church to. Jesus' invitation to us is the very same. You don't receive power by what you do. You receive power by what you receive from Him. I want you to drink deeply of it. I'm convinced it could make all the difference in the world for you. Jesus, thank you for being a God who loves us. We just want to sit in that for a moment today, Lord. That you love us. Many of us have read the verses and we've sung the songs and we we know it but we don't believe it. Lord, would you help us to, to know it in a way, to believe it in a way where we build our life on it. Jesus, I pray that you find a home in each one of us, Lord, that we would cultivate relationship with you through, through time in your word, through prayer, through worship. And God, that we would be convinced that you are alive. And that because you are alive, you move. And because you move, things don't always have to be the way that they've always been. You change. You change things. Jesus, would you help us to be people who find strength in you? It's in your name that we